and welcome to the Growing Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast, where this week I get pretty drunk, we read some more chapters, and I talk about things you can watch on various streaming services. That's right, this week I talk about The Rock's latest venture into tequila land, known as Terramana Tequila. We talk about Onward, Pixar's latest movie, and a couple other things that you can watch on Disney+. And we also read Through the Looking Glass and what Alice found there, chapters four through six. We are making quick progress through that book, but right here at the top of the podcast, I wanted to say a couple of things. Number one, sorry this episode's late. I uh, went up the correct day, but it went up like an hour and a half after it was supposed to. So that's on me. That's my bad. Um, you could tell that this was recorded after um, it was supposed to go up. Otherwise, I wouldn't be apologizing. I wouldn't have that level of foresight. Unless this was premeditated, in which case, who knows? Really. Also, with the ongoing situation, I hope you are all staying safe inside, washing your hands, and only going out for truly essential things, um, which is a lesson I am really, really, really trying to stick to. And, um, you know, it's just safer inside. There's lots of great video games. Anyway, um, yeah. And I'm not going to talk about how to support the Going Out cast because right now y'all need the money, your money more than I do. So we'll just keep on trucking. Uh, like nothing's going on. And let us start with me already being pretty drunk uh, in this next segment and then drinking a little bit more. Before I get into this segment of the podcast, a little disclaimer warning right here at the top. You guys should drink responsibly. You shouldn't ever, you know, overindulge to the point where you black out. I don't want to tell you how to live your life, but just be smart about, you know, substances especially alcohol um you know it's not the not the healthiest of choices i fully recognize that but i just want to clarify at the start of the hour that you guys you know wait till you're 21 drink responsibly you know all those all those special stuff especially in this day and age where everybody should be drinking at home and speaking of drinking at home if you guys are familiar with this podcast at all you'll know that i enjoy the occasional beverage of the alcoholic variety and there has never been a time in my life where i had looked forward to the release of alcohol like new brands of alcohol until one of my favorite celebrities rock the dwayne johnson decided to announce the creation of his own tequila company, Terramana Tequila. And they have two tequilas right now at the launch of their company, which was actually back in March. They had this big thing planned, and they canned it because of the ongoing scenario. Um, And they just kind of softly released their tequila to, you know, BevMo's and Total Wines and liquor stores across the country. And so I went out and got both kinds of tequila. They currently have a Blanco tequila and a Reposado tequila, which it needs to be aged, I believe, between one to two years in um in a barrel of some kind. I believe their Reposado tequila is aged in bourbon barrels. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what's up. They were at least aged in oak barrels. These are traditionally made tequilas using copper stills and roasted agave in order to extract that delicious juice that is the basis of all good tequila. Blue agave, I believe. Um, Or it just needs to be 100% agave. If you ever see a tequila that is not 100% agave, it's 100% garbage, and it should not go in your body. Anyway, um, what's interesting to me about my acquisition of this tequila, and I do have little taster glasses in front of me of both tequilas, and I will be trying them here in a little bit, um, is that 
my desire to try this tequila is solely based on the goodwill that The Rock has generated for himself. If this was any other tequila company that wasn't owned by The Rock, I would not have given a shit. New alcohols come out every other fucking day. They're, they're all over the places and they just come and go. Some are good, some are bad, and they rise and fall like the sun. It, you know, it just, it just happens. But because I'm such a big fan of The Rock as a person, as an actor, all his fucking charity work that he does, the inspiration he gives me for like working out, he is just an all around amazing figure. And I fucking love him. So he is the only reason I paid attention to this tequila. So if this tequila sucks, it'll be the first time The Rock has ever let me down. So we shall see. But I just think it's interesting that I imagine I'm not the only person that bought this just because it has The Rock's name attached to it. You know, this this tequila company will fail or succeed based on the popularity of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So let's try the Blanca tequila first. Blanca tequila is basically tequila at its natural state, I would argue. Um, it has absolutely no aging. It is crystal clear. It's like water. That's why it's called Blanca tequila. Um, it also looks exactly like, you know, vodka or gin. It's basically just a clear looking tequila. So first thing we do when we're trying out a new liquor is we give it the old snifferoonie. <sighs> Smells like tequila. It's got some kind of fruity notes to it almost. Not too bad. I've got like half a shot here, so I'm just going to give it a little taster and then just knock it back. Ooh. Hmm. Well, it's different. It's kind of sweet. It's not bad. Definitely got a good burn to it. Um, but it's not bad. I think it would pair very nicely with um with a lime, and I think its natural kind of fruity sweetness to it makes it a sure win for um like a margarita. Blanco tequilas are usually not consumed straight. They're usually the basis of mixed drinks. So the fact that it has enough going on in it by itself means that it's probably a really good candidate for, for being a part of a grander cocktail. So, bombs up. Whew. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a solid aftertaste. Excuse me. little palate cleansing tea before I hit the reposada. I'm also fairly drunk already because I had some whiskey because I was doing some eldest recordings. Uh, and I still actually have a fair amount of whiskey here. I might actually break out the funnel and put that back so I don't fucking pass out. Because um, I still have work in the morning. Anyway, the reposado tequila. Like I said, aged between, I believe, one to two years. I think once it hits three years of aging, it technically becomes an añejo. Um, what one of one of the wonderful things about tequila is that it really has a solid gradient between the types of tequila, so it's really crystal clear what you're being served. That shit comes out looking like water. You got a blanca. That shit looks like it's uh like fairly um well hydrated urine. You got a reposado. That shit comes out like somebody needs to drink some water. Stat. That's an añejo. You know the darker one. Well, at least that's a. Not, not how I remember it because I just can I just know the difference um but because it is aged it uh traditionally like the benefit of aging liquors it tends to be smoother the flavors tend to be a bit more developed 
Um, and they can usually be consumed straight like a whiskey. So let us take it old, old. Once again, we start with the snifter test. Smells a lot like the Blanco. It's kind of got like a woody nature to it. it smells very good. Reminds me of summer, actually. It's like the hmm has a has a has a summery feel to it. So, all right, let's give it a little tasterino. Mmm, mmm, kind of smoky. Definitely has a greater depth of flavor, and it's very smooth. That goes down real easy. Bit of a burn, bit of a very mild burn. Um, both tequilas have the exact same alcohol content. I believe they're 80 proof, like, on the nose, which makes them 40% alcohol. That's how that works, by the way. Proof is double the alcohol percentage. So if you see something that's like, you know... 100 proof, that's 50% alcohol. 120 proof, you know, so on and so forth, 60% alcohol. Um, yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, I think this one would go pretty good with the lime salt treatment in terms of like a shot. Uh, and I think as long as the mixed drink wasn't overly complicated, so you don't lose the, the natural flavor of this tequila, um, you would probably be fairly well suited. But that is just my humble drinking opinion. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Um, both tequilas are fairly inexpensive. Both less than $40. Um, which is which is nice if you're looking for a fairly decent alcohol on a budget. Because alcohol can get very expensive. And price is not necessarily a guarantee of quality, as I like to think that this tequila represents, because it is definitely, definitely the cheapest tequila I have ever purchased. And it is not bad at all. Um, I would... See, it's the there's the thing. I was about to be like, I would recommend it, which I would, if you're looking for a good tequila or a good entry-level tequila, you know? If you're, if you're new to this area of alcohol... Um, I think these are these are good choices for sure. I can't wait in a couple of years when their añejos have been aged enough to be sold as añejos uh, to give that one a whirl. Um, but since I technically now have two brand spanking new bottles of tequila downstairs, I probably won't be buying this again anytime soon. Because while I do enjoy drinking, I don't drink all that often anymore unless I'm recording a chapter or it's the weekend. Although nowadays with the ongoing situation... Um, I can easily see people turning to such things a lot easier because what the hell else is there to do? Uh, but there you go. There is my, you know, amateur review of Terramana tequila. I think they're both fine tequilas. Uh, if you're a tequila person, I think you uh, will definitely enjoy these tequilas. If you're not a tequila person, I think these are good entry-level tequilas to get into this field of boozing, cruising boozing with. Um, I still actually have a little bit of Reposado, so I'm just going to knock that back like a champion. <sighs> Fucking delicious. Alright. There we go. Termon Tequila. Pretty good. Pretty good. I will also say here at the end of this 10-minute tequila review that I'm not sponsored by Terramonte Tequila, but if The Rock is looking, hey, Dwayne, give me a call. We can work something out. I'll record, I'll record your autobiography. Drunk on Terramana Tequila. That sounds like a that sounds like a great time for everyone. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast.
Alrighty, looks like it's Alice in Wonderland time. I need to find the PDF. Probably should have done that before. And, um, my PDF is called Eyeglass, which I guess is, you know, like, um, iRobot, but not as, uh, whimsical. Well, no, iRobot is not as whimsical as Alice in Wonderland. Um, what fucking chapter were we on? Looking Glass Insects? We did that. That was weird. Um, ah, uh, chapter four, Tweedledee and Tweedledum is what we're on now. All right. <clears throat> They were standing under a tree, each with an arm round the other's neck, and Alice knew which was which in a moment, because one of them had dumb embroidered on his collar, and the other one had D. Suppose they've got Tweedle round at the back of the collar, she said to herself. They stood so still that she quite forgot they were alive, and she was just looking around to see if the word Tweedle was written on the back of each collar, when she was startled by a voice coming from the one marked dumb. If you think we are waxwork, he said, you ought to pay, you know, waxworks weren't made to be looked at for nothing, no-how. Contrawise, added the other one marked D. If you think we're alive, you ought to speak. I'm sure I'm very sorry, was all Alice could say. For the words of the old song kept ringing through her head, like the ticking clock, and she could hardly help saying them out loud. Tweedledee and Tweedledum agreed to have a battle, for Tweedledum said Tweedledee had spoiled his nice new rattle. And just then flew down a monstrous crow, as black as a tar barrel, which frightened both the heroes so they quite forgot their quarrel. Quarrel and barrel don't really rhyme. They don't really rhyme. It's a bit of a stretch, but that's fine. I know what you're thinking about, said Tweedledum, but it isn't so know-how. Contrawise, continued Tweedledee. If it was so, it might be, and if it were so, it would be. But as it isn't, it ain't. That's logic. I was thinking, Alice said very politely, which is the best way out of this wood? It's getting so dark. Would you tell me, please? But the fat little men only looked at each other and grinned. They looked so exactly like a couple of great schoolboys that Alice couldn't help pointing her finger at Tweedledum and saying, First boy, know how, cried Te uh, Tweedledum, cried briskly and shut his mouth up again with a snap. Next boy, said Alice, passing on to Tweedledee, though she felt quite certain that he would only shout contrawise, and so he did. You've been wrong, cried Tweedledum. The first thing in a visit is to say, how do you do? And shake hands. And here the two brothers gave each other a hug and then held out the two hands that were free to shake hands with her. Alice did not like shaking hands with either of them first for fear of hurting the other one's feelings. So as, um, so as the best way out of the difficulty, she took hold of both hands at once. The next moment, they were dancing round, dancing found in a ring. It shouldn't say round, but it doesn't. It says found. Dancing found in a ring. This seemed quite natural, she remembered afterwards. And she was not even surprised to hear music playing. It seemed to come from the tree under which they danced. Um, and it was done, as well as she could make out, by the branches rubbing uh, one and rubbing, nope, rubbing one across the other like fiddles and fiddle sticks. But it certainly was funny, Alice said afterwards when she was telling her sister the history of all this, to find myself singing, Here we go around the mulberry bush. I don't know when I began it, but somehow I felt as if I'd been singing it a long, long time. So, I guess, spoilers, we know Alice makes it out of this jam. Because it says afterwards when she was telling her sister the history of all this. So, Alice lives at the end of the story. Big fucking spoilers. Anyway. And the other two dancers were fat and very soon out of breath. Four times round is enough for one dance, Tweedledum panted out. And they left off dancing and suddenly as they had begun, the music stopped at the same moment. Then they let go of Alice's hands and stood looking at her for a moment. There was a rather awkward pause as Alice didn't know how to begin a conversation with people she had just been dancing with. It would never do to say, how do you do now, she said to herself. 
We seem to have gotten beyond that somehow. I hope you're not much tired, she said at last. No how, and thank you very much for asking, said Tweedledum. So much obliged, added Tweedledee. You like poetry? Y yes, pretty well. Some poetry, Alice said doubtfully. Uh, would you tell me which road leads out of the woods? What shall I repeat to her, said Tweedledee, looking round at Tweedledum with great solemn eyes and not noticing Alice's questions. The walrus and the carpenter is the longest, said Tweedledum, replied, giving his brother an affectionate hug. Tweedledee began instantly. The sun was shining. Here Alice ventured to interrupt him. If it is very long, she said, as politely as she could. Would you please tell me uh, first which road? Tweedledum smiled gently. Tweedledee, sorry. Tweedledee smiled gently and began again. <clears throat> oh, God. How long is this? Oh, who gives a fuck? The sun was shining on the sea, shining with all his might. He did his very best to make the billows smooth and bright. And this was odd because it was the middle of the night. The moon was shining silkily because she thought the sun had got no business to be there after the day was done. It's very rude of him, she said, to come and spoil the fun. The sea was wet as wet could be. The sands were dry as dry. You could not see a cloud because no cloud was in the sky. No birds were flying overhead. There were no birds to fly. The walrus and the carpenter, which, by the way, is a bar in Ballard. Washington. There's a, there's a bar nearby called the walrus and the carpenter. Um, I don't know if it has very strong Alice in Wonderland themes, but where else could you possibly have gotten the walrus and the carpenter? Anyway. The walrus and the carpenter were walking close at hand. They wept like anything to see such quantities of sand. If this were only cleared away, they said it would be grand. If seven maids with seven maps swept it for half a year, do you suppose, the walrus said, that they could get it clear? I doubt it, said the carpenter, and shed a bitter tear. Oi, oysters, come and walk with us, the walrus did beseech. A pleasant walk, a pleasant talk along the briny beach. We cannot do with more than four to give a hand to each. The eldest oyster looked at him, but never said a word. Um, but never a word, he said. The eldest oyster winked his eye and shook his heavy head, meaning to say he did not choose to leave the oyster bed. But the four young oysters hurried up, all eager for the treat. Their coats were brushed, their faces washed, their shoes were clean and neat. And this was odd because you know they hadn't any feet. I suppose those look like oysters. There's a drawing here of some, some clam-like items. I guess they're oyster-esque. They look more like just normal clams to me, but that's fine. Four other oysters followed them, and yet another four. And thick and fast they came at last, and more and more and more. All hopping through, all hopping through the, the frothing waves and scrambling to the shore. The walrus and the carpenter walked on a mile or so, and then they rested on a rock conveniently low, and all the little oysters stood and waited in a row. The time has come, the walrus said, to talk of many things, of shoes and ships and sealing wax, of cabbages and kings, and why the sea is boiling hot, and whether pigs have wings. But wait a bit, the oysters cried, before I have our chat, for some of us are out of breath, and all of us are fat. No hurry, said the carpenter, and they thanked him much for that. A loaf of bread, the walrus said, is what we chiefly need. Pepper and vinegar besides are very good indeed. Now, if you're ready, oysters, dear, we can begin to feed. But not on us, the oysters cried, turning a little blue. After such kindness, that would be a dismal thing to do. The night is fine, the walrus said. Do you admire the view? It was so kind of you to come, and you are very nice, the carpenter said. Nothing but cut us another slice. I wish you were not quite so deaf. I've had to ask you twice. It seems a shame, the walrus said, to play them such a trick. After we brought them out so far and made them trot so quick, the carpenter said nothing but the butter's spread too thick. I wait for you, the walrus said. I deeply sympathize with sobs and tears. He sorted out those of the largest size, holding his pocket handkerchief before his streaming eyes. 
Oi, oysters, said the carpenter. You've had a pleasant run. Shall we be trotting home again? But the answer came there, none. That was scarcely odd because they'd eaten every one. I like the walrus best, said Alice. Because you see, um, he was a little sorry of the poor oysters. He ate more than the carpenters, though, said Tweedledee. You see, he held his handkerchief in front so that the carpenter couldn't count how many he took, contrary-wise. That was mean, Alice said indignantly. Then I like the carpenter best if he didn't eat so many as the walrus. But he ate as many as he could get, said Tweedledum. This was a puzzler. After a pause, Alice began, well, th they were both very unpleasant characters. Hold on. Ah, delicious. So I made my, um, the Rogones top shelf, but rather than using Dragones, I used, um, Terramana tequila, which we've talked about, uh, previously. And I mixed the Reposado and the Blanco tequila, so it's actually kind of, it's kind of got a nice smoothness to it. But it's quite good. And it's very boozy, so. Woo. Anyway. Here she checked herself in some alarm after hearing something that sounded like the puffing of a large steam engine in the wood near them, uh, though she feared it was more likely to be a wild beast. Are there any lions or tigers about here? She asked timidly. It's only the Red King snoring, said Tweedledee. Come and look at him, the brothers cried, and they each took one of Alice's hands and led her up to where the king was sleeping. Isn't he a lovely sight, said Tweedledum. Alice couldn't say honestly that he was. He had a tall red nightcap on with a tassel, and he was lying crumpled up in a sort of untidy heap and snoring loud. Fit to snore his head off, as Tweedledum remarked. I'm afraid I'll catch cold with lying on the damp grass, said Alice, who was a very thoughtful little girl. He's dreaming now, said Tweedledee. And what do you think he's dreaming about? Alice said, nobody can guess that. Why about you, said Tweedledee, exclaimed, clapping his hands triumphantly. If he left off dreaming about you, where do you suppose you'd be? Where I am now, of course, said Alice. Not you, Tweedledee retorted contemptuously. You'd be nowhere while you're only a sort of thing in his dream. If that there king was to wake, added Tweedledum, you would go out bang just like a candle. I shouldn't, Alice exclaimed indignantly. Besides, if I'm the only sort in his dream, what are you, I should like to know? Ditto, said Tweedledum. Ditto, ditto, cried D Tweedledee. Oh, God, they're dittos from Pokemon. Get it? Because Pokemon said, fuck it. Um, he shouted this so loud that Alice couldn't help saying, hush, you'll be waking him. I'm afraid if you make so much noise. Well, it's no use your it's no use your talking about waking him," said Tweedledum. "When you're the only one of the things in his dream, you know very well you're not real." "I am real," Alice said and began to cry. "You won't make yourself um you won't make yourself a bit realer by crying," Tweedledee remarked. "There's nothing to cry about." "If I wasn't real," Alice said, half laughing through her tears. "It all seems so ridiculous. I shouldn't be able to cry." "I hope you don't suppose those are real tears," said Tweedledum, interrupting in a tone of great contempt. Anyway, I know they're talking nonsense, Alice thought to herself. It's foolish to cry about it. So she brushed away her tears and went on as cheerfully as she could. At any rate, I'd better be going out of the wood, for it's really coming on very dark. Do you think it's going to rain? Tweedledum spread a large umbrella over himself and his brother and looked up into it. No, I don't think it is, he said. Not at least under here, no how. But it might rain outside. It may, if it chooses, said Tweedledee. We've no objection, contrary-wise. Selfish things, thought Alice, and she was just going to say goodnight and leave them when Tweedledum sprang out from under the umbrella and seized her by the wrist. Do you see that? He said in a voice choking with passion. His eyes grew large and yellow for a moment as he pointed with a trembling finger at a small white thing lying under his tree. It's only a rattle, Alice said after a careful examination of the little white thing. Not a rattlesnake, you know. She added hastily, thinking that he was frightened. Only uh, only an old rattle, quite old and broken. I knew it was, cried Tweedledum, began to stamp about wildly and tear his hair. It's spoiled, of course, 
Here he looked at Tweedledee, who immediately sat down on the ground to try to hide himself under the umbrella. Alice laid her hand upon his arm and said in a soothing tone, You need to be so angry about an old rattle. But it isn't old! Tweedledum cried in a greater fury than ever. It's new, I tell you, about it yesterday, my nice new rattle! His voice rose to a perfect scream. Ah! All this time, Tweedledee was trying his best to fold up the umbrella with himself inside of it, such, which was such an extraordinary thing to do that it quite took off Alice's attention of the angry brother. But he couldn't quite succeed, and it end, ended in his rolling over, bundling up in the umbrella, with only his head out, and there he lay, open and shutting his mouth and his large eyes, looking more like a fish than anything else. Alice thought, Of course you agree to have a battle, Tweedledum said in a calmer tone. I suppose so, the other sulkily replied as he crawled out of the umbrella. Only she must help us dress up, you know. So the two brothers went off hand in hand into the woods, returned in a minute with their arms full of things, such as bolsters, blankets, hearth rugs, tablecloths, dish covers, and coal scuttlers. Or scuttles. I hope you're a good hand at pinning and tying string, Tweedledum remarked. Each one of these things has got to go on, somehow or other. Alice said afterwards that she had never seen such a fuss made about anything in all her life, the way those two buttled about, and the quantity of things to put on, and the trouble they gave her in tying strings and fastening buttons. Really, they're more like bundles of old clothes than anything else by the time they're ready, she said to herself as he arranged a bolster around the neck of Tweedledee. To keep his head from being cut off, as he said. You know, she added very gravely, it's one of the most serious things that could possibly happen in one battle to get one head cut off. Alice laughed out loud, but she managed to turn it into a cough for fear of hurting his feelings. And then there's an adorable little drawing of Tweedledee and Tweedledum just wrapped up in all sorts of dumb shit. Do I look very pale? said Tweedledum, coming up to have his helmet tied on. He called it a helmet, though certainly it looked more like a saucepan. Why, yes, a little, Alice replied gently. I'm very brave, generally, he went on in a low voice. Only today I happen to have a headache, and I've got a toothache, said Tweedledee, who had overheard the remark. I'm far better worse off, I'm far worse off than you. Then you better not fight today, Alice said, thinking it a good opportunity to make peace. We must have a bit of a fight. I don't care how long going on. I don't care about going on long, said Tweedledum. What time is it now? Tweedledee looked at his watch, said, Half past four. Let's fight till six and then have dinner, said Tweedledum. Very well, the other said rather sadly. And she can watch us, only you better not come very close, he added. I generally hit everything I can see when I get really excited, and I hit everything within reach, cried Tweedledum. Whether well, I can see it or not, Alice laughed. You must hit the trees pretty often, I should think. Tweedledum looked around him with a satisfied smile. Don't suppose, he said, there'll be a tree left standing for ever so far round by the time we've finished. And all the battle rattle, said Alice, still hoping to make them a little ashamed of fighting for such a trifle. I shouldn't have minded it so much, said Tweedledum. If it hadn't been a new one, I wish a monstrous crow would come, thought Alice. There's only one sword, you know, Tweedledum said to his brother. But you can have the umbrella. It's quite a shop. Only we must begin quick. It's getting dark as it can. And darker, said Tweedledee. It was getting dark so suddenly Alice thought there must be a thunderstorm coming on. What a thick black cloud that is, she said. How fast it comes. Why, well, I do believe it's got wings. It's the crow! Tweedledum cried in a shrill voice of alarm, and the two brothers took to their heels and were out of sight in a moment. Alice ran a little way into the woods and stopped under a large tree. Can never get at me here, she thought. It's far too large to squeeze in itself among the trees. But I wish it wouldn't flap its wings so. It's making quite a hurricane in the wood. Somebody's shawl's being blown away. Yeah, that's the end of chapter four. Why that fun? Why that fun to meet such iconic characters like Tweedledee and Tweedledum? You know, dare I say it? Looks both ways. I would say they were kind of D. Wait. Fuck! One of the side effects of the ongoing situation is that a lot of movie studios tend to be releasing their brand spanking new movies on digital rather than putting them in the theaters because all the movie theaters are closed because of the ongoing situation. Anyway, because of this, I was able to finally watch the latest Pixar movie, Onward. And let me tell you that I am very, very thankful that Disney decided to release this on Disney Plus because it saved me the time and the money 
having to go see this movie in theaters because it was all sorts of okay. It wasn't the best. I wasn't really going into that movie with a lot of expectations, and it failed to meet my very low expectations. Pixar used to be a byword of incredible filmmaking. Used to be. Um, it's had some missteps in its time, and that comes from, you know, being around for a really long time. Like, even Studio Ghibli, even though they have, like, less than 20 movies under their belt, I think. Probably less than 30 under their belt. There's still some stankers in there. No, Nobody, you know, survives creating um, good shit for, like, ever. Like, bands have bad songs. Movie studios make bad movies. I record bad audiobooks. Everybody does it. So, this was just a, a misstep in, in Pixar's chain of things. It's not, like unwatchable but it does you know like when characters have like a falling out and they fight right and there's some conflict uh of in between their relationship being like let's say for example i had a, a character who had a, a stepdad right and um in like the first five minutes they have like a falling out where he's like shut up you're not my real dad and it's like emotionally poignant and, um, you know, and then throughout the movie, they, you know, come to love and appreciate one another. And, uh, by the end of it, you know, it's like, you may not have been my birth father, but you are my dad, you know, be that kind of realization. Um, that's how that story is supposed to go. It's not supposed to be shut up. You're not my real dad for two, for like 90% of the movie. And that's what this movie is. It's way too much interpersonal conflict between the two main characters. In this case, the two brothers, um, with very little, um, like resolution to that. They do get there eventually, but it's like it's the the balance between it is is very poor. And there are a lot of scenes in the movie where it's like, look, they're having fun. Look at how much fun they're having. Aren't they good brothers? Look at this. Oh, they're laughing and dancing. Ha 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 ha. It's like that. It's like that. It's that kind of thing. Um it also does the whole like, oh, here's this expectation psych nope it's different um thing like eight times so it constantly it thinks it's cleverer than it really is and it all kind of falls really flat like there are a couple of things they set up throughout the film including the gelatinous cube which is an actual DD monster um and i believe they had to get permission to use it because it's like owned by wizards of the Coast. who cares there's there's the gelatinous cube and they kind of hype up the cube for a while and then the actual fight with the cube is over in about like three seconds and the cube doesn't behave in the way that it does in the monster manual god damn it it is an instant um fucking uh what's the word dissolving consumption eating away i don't know if you fall in the gelatinous cube you've got like a couple of seconds to get out of there before you're dead um it is possible but in this movie it makes it seem like you, like you instantly disintegrate which is not the case with the gelatinous cube anyway it's fine i never in my life need to see it again nor would i recommend it to really anybody um if you want to watch a pixar movie this is not one i would recommend um however if you are stuck at home with very little to do you could waste two hours i mean i can't even who's this for i don't even know if you're stuck at home and bored, um, with literally nothing else to do, then sure. If you absolutely must. But I'm very thankful that this movie did not come out in theaters. Um, 
very long. I think it was in theaters for a bit um, before this all kicked off, but it did not perform well because of the ongoing situation. So they put it on Disney+. Plus. Um, but it's it's fine. It doesn't do anything like daring or different. This story's been told by other movies better. And it feels like they had... Like, they have a fairly interesting world, but not really. Because it, it feels like you've seen it before. It's like, it's magic, but it's also cars. What? Shit's crazy. And I'm just sitting there going like, eh. And he has like these friends. Like, all right, so the main character, Spider-Man, he's got like some friends in high school, but they don't even really seem to know his name. And like, we don't ever learn theirs. They're just kind of there as like a plot point. And that's never really resolved. Um, there's there's a lot of interesting potential there that just gets kind of missed. Um, and that upsets me. The music was fine. Visually, it's great because it's a Pixar movie and there, it's always, you know, really good to look at. But it's just kind of, uh, eh. I can't, I can't, I can't, you know, there's not, there's not many good things to say about it. All I will say, it did almost make me cry. Simply because... That's just kind of person I am. I don't think it was really anything they did. Um, I think it's just because I'm kind of a sap um, for for certain stuff. But yeah, it's fine, I guess. It's like I think Finding Dory is better. I think Monsters University is a better film. There, I said it. I'd rather watch Cars three than watch this one again. Um, I'd rather watch a Bug's Life. And fuck Bug's Life. So, yeah, it's not not a lot there. Don't expect to see a lot of Disney rides based on this one. That's for sure. So, I hope they don't, like... I mean, classic fantasy is kind of Disney's bread and butter. You know, if you go way back. Like, that old, like fairy tales and princesses and princes. and That's kind of what Disney's really good at. So it's kind of amazing that they have a movie with magic and swords and dragons and monsters and shit, and they missed the bullet, like, completely. It's window dressing. None of that really mattered, you know, for seeing their dad. You replace summoning your dad back with magic to, like, tracking his ass across the country, and it's, like, the exact same fucking movie. Magic really doesn't bring a lot to the table in this film, and that kind of is a shame. It's a big, like, it kind of drives a lot of what they do, but it's not necessary to the plot. It's it's just kind of like a, oh, here's this kind of mediocre movie idea. What if we dressed it up with swords and dragons and shit? Maybe then it'd be good. But the answer was no. No, it wasn't. It turns out a mediocre movie idea is a mediocre movie idea. Anyway, you slice it. So, I mean, it's not a bad idea. It just wasn't executed very well. So yeah, onward, not not great. Wouldn't recommend it. Um, does not get the got, does not get the going up cast seal of approval. Gets the going cast seal of if you literally have nothing else to do with two hours of your life, fine. Seal of seal of meh. That's what it gets. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. God damn, I'm tired. All right. Chapter 5, Wool and Water. I don't know anything about it. Apparently we're... Math. Just over halfway. Like a page over halfway through this book. So, anyway. She caught the shawl as she spoke and looked about for the owner. In another moment, the White Queen came running wildly through the wood with both arms stretched out wide as if she were flying. And Alice very civilly went to meet her with the shawl. I'm very happy 
I'm very glad I happened to be in the way. Alice said, and she helped put on her shawl again. The White Queen looked at her in a helpless, frightened sort of way and kept repeating something in a whisper to herself that sounded like bread and butter, bread and butter. And Alice felt as uh, felt that if there was to be any conversation at all, she must manage it herself. So she began timidly, I addressing the White Queen. Who the fuck is the White Queen? Has she ever been mentioned in these books? Alice is just like, oh, it's the White Queen. No, no. Who the fuck is the White Queen? Anyway, I know it was Anne Hathaway in the movies. But who's the White Queen? I don't know. Why, yes, if you call that addressing, the Queen said. It isn't my notion of the thing at all. Alice thought it would never do to have an argument at the very beginning of a conversation, so she smiled and said, If your Majesty will only tell me the right way to begin, I'll do it as well as I can. I don't want it to be, but I don't want it done at all, groaned the poor Queen. I've been addressing myself for the last two hours. It would have been all the better, as it seemed to Alice, if she had got to someone else to dress her. She was so dreadfully untidy. Every single thing's crooked, Alice thought to herself. She's all over pins. May I put your shawl straight for you, she added aloud. I don't know what's the matter with it, the queen said in a melancholy voice. It's out of temper, I think. I've pinned it here and I've pinned it there, but there's no pleasing it. It can't go straight, you know, if you pin it all on one side, Alice said. She gently put a right for her. And dear me, what a state your hair's in. The brush got entangled in it, the queen said with a sigh. And I lost the comb yesterday. Alice carefully released the brush and did her best to get the hair in order. Come, you look rather better now, she said after altering most of the pins. Really, you should have had, you should have had, you, really, you should have a lady's maid. Oh, maid. I thought that said mind for a second. I was about to be like, wow, that's sexist. I comb my hair. Now that matters. Because super fucking long because of many things that are currently going on with this ongoing situation. Um, I can't get a haircut. <laughs> I know it's pretty low down on like the list of problems, but. My hair's getting shaggy and it's getting my eyes. Anyway. Oh, well. People are dying. Gotta, gotta remain, you know. Everything's in perspective. Um, I, uh, I, I want to share the story because it's dumb and I'm drunk. So, it's fine. Um, I had this idea the other day that I've been doing, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about, like, um, uh, me going on, like, journeys and stuff like that to lakes and mountains and stuff like that and I thought it'd be really cool if I could get like a tiny kayak and put it in my car and that went away when I go to these awesome glacial lakes I can just kind of strike out on the surface of the water and um see nature from from beyond just the shore and I was doing some research and I found some like inflatable kayaks and boats that you can get on Amazon for like really dirt cheap like a two-person kayak was like $80 it was absurdly inexpensive um, especially when you consider that, like, a hard-shelled kayak, like, you know, solid plastic and stuff like that, can be anywhere between, like, four to a thousand dollars. Four hundred to a thousand dollars. And I was looking at that two-person kayak going, like, oh, that's pretty cool, and I was doing a little bit more digging, and it turns out there is a four-person boat you can buy for a hundred and seven dollars that has a carrying capacity of, like, a thousand pounds, um, takes up roughly the same space deflated as the kayak does, and there were, like, a lot of pros with it. Um, including not the least of which that if I was out on a lake and I had my boat, I could like lay down in the boat, like pretty comfortably. Um, it'd be all, uh, it'd be akin to like sleeping on like a waterbed, I think, cause the whole thing's inflatable. So it would just kind of rock with the waves and stuff like that. But I was just like, damn, that sounds, that sounds all sorts of awesome. So, um, I have that in my Amazon cart, just kind of waiting. Cause the last thing I want to do in this, in this like dire time when people are buying like essential items is for somebody to pack my Amazon order and be like, this person bought a new camping backpack, a fucking boat, and a cot 
Like, what the hell? These are not essential. And then you got me going like, yeah, they're not. They're not essential. I just want a boat. So I'm going to get a boat here in a little bit, but only after this all blows over um, and I feel less guilty about buying non-essential bullcrap like that. Uh, anyway, I'm sure I'll take you with pleasure, the queen said. Two pence a week and jam every other day. I was going to help laughing as she had said, I don't want you to hire me and I don't care for jam. It's very good, jam, said the queen. Why don't want any today at any rate? Well, you couldn't have any if you did want it, the queen said. The ruler's jam tomorrow and jam yesterday, but never jam today. It must come sometime to jam today, um, said Alice objected. No one can, the queen said. Jam every other day. Today isn't any other day, you know. I don't understand you, Alice said. It's dreadfully confusing. That's the effect of living backwards, the queen said kindly. Always makes one a little giddy at first. Living backwards? The queen repeated in great astonishment, or Alice repeated in great astonishment. I've never heard such a thing. There, but there's a great one great advantage in it, and that's one's memory works both ways. I'm sure mine only works one way, Alice remarked. Can't remember things that before they happen. It's a poor sort of memory that only works backwards, the queen remarked. What sort of things do you remember, Alice ventured to ask. Oh, things that happen the week after next, the queen replied in a careless tone. For instance, now, she went on sticking a large piece of plaster, band-aid, on her finger as she spoke. There's the king's messenger. He's in prison now, being punished, and the trial doesn't even begin until next Wednesday, and of course the crimes come last of all. Suppose he never commits the crimes. That would be all the better, wouldn't it? The queen said, as she bound the plaster around her finger with a bit of ribbon. Alice felt there was no denying that. Of course it would be all the better, she said. But it wouldn't be at all better if he, um, his being punished. You're wrong there at any rate, said the queen. Were you ever punished? Only for faults, Alice said. And you were all the better for it, I know, the queen said triumphantly. Yes, but then I had done the things I was punished for, Alice said. That makes all the difference. But if you hadn't done them, the queen said, that would have been better still. Better and better and better. Her voice went higher until each better had, until it got quite a squeak at last. Alice was just beginning to say, there's a mistake somewhere. Uh, when the queen began screaming so loud that she had to leave the sentence unfinished. Oh, ho, ho, shouted the queen, shaking her hand as if she wanted to shake it off. My finger's bleeding. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Her screams were so exactly like the whistle of a steam engine that Alice had to hold her hands over her ears. What is the matter? She said as soon as there was a chance to make herself heard. Have you pricked your fingers? I haven't pricked it yet, the queen said, but I soon shall. Oh, ho, ho. When do you expect to? Alice asked, feeling much inclined to laugh. When I fasten my shawl again, the poor queen groaned out. The brooch will come undone directly. Oh, ho! As she said the words, the brooch flew open. The queen clutched it out wildly, trying to clasp it again. Take care, cried Alice. You're holding it all crooked. And she caught the brooch, but it was too late. The pin had slipped, and the queen had pricked her finger. That accounts for all the bleeding, you see, she said to Alice with a smile. Now you understand the way things happen here. But why don't you scream now? Alice asked, holding her hands ready to, um, to put over her ears again. Oh, I've done all the screaming already, said the queen. What would be the good of having it all over again? By this time, it was getting late. The crow must have flown away, I think, Alice said. I'm so glad it's gone. I thought there was night coming on. Oh, I wish I could manage to be glad, Queen said. Only I never can remember the rule. You must be very happy living in this wood. Be very glad when you, uh, wherever you like. Oh, it's so very lonely here, Alice said melancholy as the thought of her loneliness. Two large tears came rolling down her cheeks. Oh, don't go on like that, cried the poor Queen, wringing her hands in despair. Consider what a great girl you are. Consider what a long way you've come today. Consider what clock it is. Consider anything, only don't cry. Alice could not help laughing at this, even in the midst of her tears. Can you keep from crying by considering things? She asked. That's the way it's done, the queen said with great decision. Nobody can do two things at once, you know. Let's consider your age to begin with. How old are you? I'm seven and a half exactly. Alice is fucking seven and a half. I wonder what age it is in which you start counting halves. Like when you're a kid, you're so eager to grow up because adults have such, like, awesome shit to do. But the real secret is, is that being a kid is actually the best. Um, and kids don't know how good they have it. 
Because once they reach our age, then they're sad and depressed like the rest of us. Welcome to humanity. Life is just a string of bummer times. Anyway. I, how old was she in the first book? Probably six. Would be my guess. Um, or seven. Who knows? Maybe this is only a couple of months after the first one. Anyway, she's way too young to have any sort of like... Well, I guess seven would make sense for the nonsense of this book. Anyway. You didn't say exactly, um, the queen remarked. Can't believe it. Um, I can believe without that. Now, I would give you something to believe. I'm just 101, five months in a day. I can't believe that. Alice said, can't you? The queen said in a pitying tone. Try again. Take a long breath and shut your eyes. Alice laughed. There's no use trying, she said. One can't believe impossible things. It does say you haven't had much practice, said the queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. There goes my shawl again. Six impossible things before breakfast. Where have I heard that before? Sometimes I believed in as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Is that a Thomas Edison thing? Hold on. Believe in six impossible things before breakfast. Um, yeah, it's Alice through looking glass. It got stolen by something. Um... Oh, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking back to, um, the movie. It was, like, it was a line that was used in the movie a lot. Um, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, 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 it's all come back to me. Like, when she's talking about, like, the, taking over, like, the shipping business and stuff like that. It's all coming screaming back to me. Got it, okay. Um, then there's an art picture of what appears to be a goat dressed up as an old woman. Okay. The brooch had come undone as she spoke, and suddenly a gust of wind blew the queen's shawl across the little brook. The queen spread her arms out again and went flying after it, and this time she succeeded in catching it for herself. I've got, she cried in a triumphant tone. Now you shall see me pin it on again all by myself. And hope your fingers is better now, Alice said very politely as she crossed the little brook after the queen. Oh, much better, cried the queen, her voice rising into a squeak as she went on. Much better, 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 better. The last work ended in a long bleat like a sheep that Alice was quite startled. She looked at the queen, who seemed to have suddenly wrapped herself up in wool. Alice rubbed her eyes and looked again. She couldn't make out whatever had happened at all. Was she in a shop? And was that really was that really a sheep sitting on the other side of the counter? Rub as she could, she could make nothing more of it. She was in a little dark sharp, leaning on her elbows on the counter, and opposite her was an old sheep, sitting in an armchair, knitting, and every now and then leaving off to look at her through a great pair of spectacles. What is it you want to buy? The queen said or the sheep said at last, looking up for a moment uh, from her knitting. I don't quite know yet, Alice said very gently. I should like to look round at uh, me first, if I might. You may look in front of you and on both sides, if you like, the queen, uh, the sheep said. But you can't look all around you unless you've got eyes in the back of your head. But these, as it happened, Alice not got. So she continued, uh, contented herself with turning around and looking at the cells as she came to them. Shop seemed to be full of all manner of curiosity, curious things. But the oddest part of all was... That whenever she looked hard at any shelf to make out exactly what was on it, the particular shelf uh, was always quite empty. The other guys around it were uh, crowded as full as they could hold. Things flow about so in here, she said at last in plaintive tone as she spent a minute or so in vainly pursuing a large bright thing that sometimes looked like a doll and sometimes like a workbox and was always in the shelf next to above the one she was looking at. And this one is the most provoking of all, but I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Pilgrim, she added at a sudden thought struck her. Follow it up to the very top shelf. It's all, uh, it'll puzzle it to go through the ceiling, I expect. But even this plan failed. The thing went through the ceiling as quietly as possible, as if it were quite used to it. Are you a child or a teetotum? 
the sheep said, as she took up another pair of needles. You'll make me giddy soon if you go on turning around like that. She was now working with 14 pairs at once, and Alice couldn't help look at her in great astonishment. How can she knit with so many? Puzzled the child to herself. She gets more and more like a porcupine every minute. Can you row? The sheep asked, handing her a pair of knitting needles as she spoke. It's a little bit on land, not with needles. Alice began to say when suddenly the needles turned into oars in her hands, and she found that she was in a little boat gliding along between banks, so there was nothing for it but to do her best. Feather! She cried the sheep and took another pair of needles. This didn't sound like a remark that needed an answer, so Alice said nothing but pulled away. There was something very queer about the water, she thought. Every now and then the oars got in fast and were hardly come out again. Feather, feather! Uh, the sheep cried again, t uh, taking more needles. You'll be catching a crab directly. A dear little crab, thought Alice. I should like that. Didn't you hear me say feather? The sheep cried angrily, taking up a bunch of needles. Did I did, um, said Alice. You said it very often. Very loud. Please, what are the crabs? In the water, of course, said the sheep, sticking um, some of the needles into her hair as her hands were full. Feather, I say! Why do you say feather so often? Alice asked at last, rather vexed. I'm not a bird. You are, said the sheet. It's supposed to be sheep. You're a little goose. This offended Alice a little, uh, so there was no more conversation for Minnie Two while the boat glided gently on, sometimes among beds of weeds, which made the oars strike fast in the water worse than ever, and sometimes under trees, but always the same tall riverbanks frowning over their heads. Oh, please, there are some scented rushes. Alice cried in a sudden transport of delight. There really are such beauties. Um... You needn't say please to me about them, the sheep said, without looking up from her knitting. Um, I didn't put them there, and I'm not going to take them away. No, but I meant, please, may we wait and pick some? I was pleaded. If you don't mind stopping the boat for a minute. How am I to stop it, said the sheep. You leave off rowing, it'll stop itself. So the boat was left to drift down the stream as it would, till it was gliding gently in among the waving rushes. And then the little sleeve, uh, then the little sleeves were rolled up. The little arms were plunged elbow deep into the rushes a good long way down before breaking them off. For a while, Alice forgot all about the sheep and her knitting as she bent over the side of the boat. With just the ends of her tangled hair dripping in the water, with bright eager eyes, she caught at one of the bunches, uh, caught at one bunch after another of the darling scented rushes. Fascinating. I'm guessing it's some sort of flower-like object. I only hope the boat won't tipple over, she said to herself. Oh, what a lovely one! Only I couldn't quite reach it. And it certainly did seem a little provoking. Almost as if it happened on purpose, she thought. That, though she managed to pick plenty of beautiful rushes as the boat glided by, there was always a more lovely one that she couldn't reach. The prettiest of the furthest away, she said at last with a sigh at the obstinacy of the rushes and growing so far off as with flesh cheeks and dripping hair and hands. She scrambled back into her place and began arranging uh, her newfound treasures. Or mattered to her... Uh, just then that the rushes, um, nope. What mattered to her just then that the rushes had begun to fit and to lose all their scent and beauty from the very moment she had picked them. Even real scented rushes, you know, last only a very little while. These being dream rushes melted away almost like snow and they lay in heaps at her feet, but Alice hardly noticed this. There were so many other curious things uh, to think about. They hadn't gone much further before the blade of one of the oars got fast in the water and wouldn't come out again. So Alice explained it afterwards. And the consequence uh, was that the handle of it caught under her chin. And in a sp in spite of a series of little shrieks of, oh, from poor Alice, it swept her straight off the seat and down among the heap of rushes. However, she wasn't hurt. And was soon not began. The sheep went on with her knitting all the while, just as if nothing happened. That was a nice crab you caught, she remarked as Alice got back into place, very much relieved to find herself still in the boat. Was it? I didn't see it, said Alice, peeping cautiously over the side of the boat in the dark water. I wish it hadn't let go. I should have liked to see a little crab to take home with me, but the sheep only laughed scornfully and went on with her knitting. Are there many crabs here? Alice said. Crabs and all sorts of things, the sheep said. Plenty of choice, only make up your mind. Now, do you want to buy? To buy? 
Alice echoes in a tone of half-astonished, half-frightened for the oars and the boat, and the river all vanished in a moment, and she was back again in the old dark sharp. I should like to buy an egg, please, she said timidly. How do you sell them? Five pence a farthing for one, two pence for two, the sheep replied. Then two are cheaper than one, Alice said in a surprised tone, taking out her purse. Only you must eat them both if you buy two, said the sheep. Then I'll have one, please, Alice said. She put the money down on the counter for she thought to herself. They mind being at all nice, you know. The sheep took the money and put it away in a box. Then she said, I never put things in people's hands. That would never do. You must get it yourself. So she said, um, and so saying, she went off to the other side of the shop and set the egg upright on the shelf. I wonder why I wouldn't do that. I thought Alice. As she groped her way among the tables and chairs for the shop, was very dark towards the end. The egg seems to be further away the more I walked toward it. Let me see. Is this a chair? Why, it's got branches, I declare. How very odd to find trees growing here. Actually, there's a little brook. Well, this is the very queerest shop I ever saw. So she went on, wondering more and more at every step, as everything turned into a tree the moment she came up to it, and she quite expected the egg to do the same. And for some reason, that's the end of the chapter. Oh, it's because it immediately launches into the next part of the story. Gotcha. Understood. So if you've listened to this podcast for more than 60 seconds, you know I'm a big fan of Disney. And Disney Plus just came out with a whole slew of new content, two items of which I wanted to talk about right now because I thought they were pretty nice, uh, well put together, and a really good example of what I think this uh, this whole streaming thing can be, even though it's already been a thing for a while. Anyway, the first thing I want to talk about is the Coco Live Concert. So back in November of 2019, uh, at the Hollywood Bowl, there were two night performances of music from the movie Coco, augmented with popular songs uh, from Mexico to make it like a full-length thing, because in the movie Coco, there's only like three fucking songs, and one of them's played like four times. Um, So they kind of had to pad it out with some shit. And it was a really good put-together show. Like, the orchestration's really on point. Uh, the musical choices that they had were incredible. They brought back uh, most of the original cast. They couldn't have the kid that played Miguel come back because he grew up and his voice changed. So they actually cast his younger brother to play Miguel, which I thought was absolutely wonderful. It's a really good like 45-minute show. Um, if you liked Coco, you'll like this. If you like music, you'll like this. Um, if you like really excellent cultural representations of just culture then you're gonna enjoy it um i thought it was excellent and i would absolutely love if disney did more shit like that because they have their own fucking concert hall it's called the walt disney concert hall they could do this sort of stuff all the time here's the music of finding nemo in concert we have a symphony just put them to work just fucking record that shit intersplice the scenes from the movie fucking people would love it love it it'd be incredible one of my all-time favorite things I ever watched on, like, ever, is um uh, the, uh, what was it, um, Joe Hisaishi um, live at Budokan in 2011, was it? It was a while back, but you can find it on YouTube in its entirety, and it's like two-hour-long fucking symphonic concert of every, of, like, not, of, not every song, naturally, but, like, the big hits from... Many of the Studio Ghibli movies up to Ponyo was the most recent one at that time. And it's wonderful. It's it's heartwarming. It's inspirational. The choir is something like fucking 400 people. It's massive. It's one of the biggest, like, 
performance groups I've ever seen on on film, you know. The orchestra's massive. Then you've got like 50 little kids and then honest to god, it's like hundreds of adults in this choir. It's absurd. And that's not even including the marching bands which show up in the middle to give the band a break and I hate that part because marching band music is terrible. Anyway, go watch the Coco live show. It's excellent. Um the other thing that they came out with is this one kind of came out of left field for me, but it makes so much sense now that they would do this because it's right in their fucking wheelhouse. They made a Simpsons short film, and I believe it's called Maggie's Day Out or something along those lines. Um, and it is classic in the sense that there is no um, dialogue. It's all told through music and the action of the characters. It's short. It's sweet, it's funny, it does its job really well. And I think it is a really good blend of Disney storytelling and the classic characters of The Simpsons. I don't think you need to know the characters of The Simpsons in order to appreciate this story, much like how most of Pixar's stories are so universal that you don't need to know ahead of time who the story is about. It just is a really good story. Like, look at the uh, Pixar short film Piper. It's a short story literally about some birds. You don't know these birds? They are birds. But it's a really good short story because of how well they tell the story they want to tell. And this Maggie's Day Out is a, is a wonderful little short film. It's like four minutes. It's really, it's like nothing. Um, the animation's weirdly smooth, which makes me think that Disney probably tasked their own animation studio to make it, which is fine. It makes a lot of sense because Disney owns it now, so they can do that. But it's just kind of like, it looked a little weird. It looked like Disney drew The Simpsons. I don't know what studio did it. I'm just saying, it was a little strange. Um... But both of those things were excellent, and I would highly, highly, highly recommend, if you have Disney+, Plus, to go check those out, because it's well worth it, in my opinion. Um, and I'm always excited when Disney drops new stuff. Also, I mentioned Be Our Chef a little while ago. Um, I would still recommend that show. Uh, it's now got three episodes out. I think it's going to be 11 episodes, I think. Um, but some of these families are really talented. And they're sitting, there, like, I'm sitting there watching these people cook, and they present their idea, and I'm like, that's stupid. And then they execute on their idea, and I'm like, that's actually, alright, you know what, credit where credit's due. Not bad. That looks pretty good. Not in your general direction. So I'd still recommend that. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing. Chapter 6. Dumpty Humpty. Nope, Humpty Dumpty. Hump, wait, Humpty Dumpty. How, did, how do you have the rights to Dumpty Humpty? That's a fucking... It's already a fairy tale, isn't it? However, the egg only got larger and larger and more and more human. When she had come within a few yards of it, she saw that it had eyes and a nose and a mouth. And when she had come close to it, she saw clearly that it was Humpty Dumpty himself. Can't be anybody else, she said to herself. I'm as certain of it as if his name were written all over his face. Dang. It might have been written a hundred times easily on that enormous face Humpty Dumpty was sitting on sitting with his legs crossed like a Turk on the top of a high wall such a narrow one that Alice quite wondered how he could keep his balance 
And as his eyes were steadily fixed in the opposite direction, and he didn't take the least notice of her, she thought he must be a stuffed figure after all. And how exactly like an egg he is, she said aloud, standing with her hands ready to catch him, for she was every moment expecting him to fall. It's very provoking, the Humpty Dumpty said after a long silence, uh, looking away from Alice as he spoke. To be called an egg, very! I said you looked like an egg. Sir, Alice said, gently explained, some eggs are very pretty, you know, she added, hoping to turn her remark into a sort of compliment. Some people, said Humpty Dumpty, looking away from her as usual, have no more sense than a baby. Alice didn't know what to say to this. It wasn't at all like her conversation, though, she thought, as he never said anything to her. In fact, his last remark was evidently addressed to a tree, so she stood and softly repeated to herself, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back in his place again. That's not how it goes, but that's fine. That last line is much too long for the poetry. Um, oh, that's her. The last line is much too long for the poetry, she added almost out loud, forgetting that Humpty Dumpty would hear her. Don't stand there chattering to yourself like that, Humpty Dumpty said, looking at her for the first time. But tell me your name and your business. My name is Alice, but it's a stupid name, enough. Uh, uh, Humpty Dumpty interrupted impatiently. What does it mean? Must a name mean something? Alice said doubtfully. Of course it must, Humpty Dumpty said with a sort of laugh. My name means the shape I am, and a good handsome shape it is too. With a name like yours, you might be any shape almost. Why do you sit out here all alone? Um, cried Alice. No, no, said Alice, not wishing to begin an argument. Why, because there's nobody with me, cried Humpty Dumpty. Did you think I didn't know the answer to that? Ask another. Don't you think you'd be safer down on the ground? Alice went on, not with, not with any idea of making another riddle, but simply in her good-natured anxiety for the queer creature. The wall is so very narrow. What a tremendously easy riddle, you ask. Humpty Dumpty growled out. Of course I don't think so. Why, if I ever did fall off, which there's no chance of, but if I did, he, here he pursed his lips and looked so solemnly on Solomon Grant that Alice could hardly keep from laughing. If I did fall, he went on, the king has promised me with his very own mouth to, to send all his horses and all his men. Alice interrupted rather unwisely. Now I declare that's too bad. Humpty Dumpty cried, breaking into sudden passion. You've been listening at doors and behind trees and sown chimneys or you wouldn't have known it. I haven't indeed, Alice said gently. It's in a book. Oh, well, they may write such things in a book. Humpty Dumpty said in a calmer tone. That's what you call a history of England, that is. Now take a good look at me. I'm one that has spoken to a king, I am. Mayhap you'll never see such another. And to show you I'm not proud, you may shake hands with me. And he grinned almost from ear to ear as he leant forward, as nearly as possible fell off the wall in doing so. And offered Alice his hand. She watched him a little anxiously as she took it. If he smiled much more, the ends of his mouth might meet behind his... Uh, might meet behind, she thought. And then I don't know what happened to his head. I'm afraid it would come off. Yes, all of his horses and all of his men, Humpty Dumpty went on. They'd pick me up again in a minute, they would. However, this conversation is going on a little too fast. Let's go back to the last remark but one. Freddy can't quite remember, I said very politely. In that case, we'll start fresh, said Humpty Dumpty. And it's my turn to choose the subject. He talks about it just as if it was a game, thought Alice. So here's a question for you. How old did you say you were? Alice made a short calculation and said seven years and six months. Wrong! Humpty Dumpty exclaimed triumphantly. You never said a word like it. I thought you meant how old are you, Alice explained. If I meant that, I'd have said it, said Humpty Dumpty. Alice didn't want to begin another argument, so she said nothing. Six years, seven months. Nope, other way around. Seven years, six months. Boy, I'm tired and drunk. Anyway. Humpty Dumpty repeated thoughtfully. An uncomfortable sort of age. Now, if you ask my advice, I'd have said leave off at seven, but it's too late now. I never asked advice about growing, Alice said indignantly. Too proud, the other inquired. Alice felt even more indignant at this suggestion. I mean, she said, one can't help growing older. One can't, perhaps, Humpty Dumpty said, but two can. With proper assistance, you might have left off at seven. 
What a beautiful belt you've got on, Alice suddenly remarked. They had had quite enough of the subject of age, Alice thought. And she, and if they really were to take turns in choosing subjects, it was her turn now. At least, she corrected herself on second thoughts. Beautiful cravat? I should have said. No, belt, I mean. I beg your pardon. She added in dismay for Humpty Dumpty looked thoroughly offended. She began to wish she hadn't chosen the subject. If I only knew. If you only knew. I can't remember the words. Um, she thought to herself. Which was the neck and which was the waist? Evidently, Humpty Dumpty was very angry, though he said nothing for a minute or two. When he did speak, it was in a deep growl. It is most provoking thing, he said at last. When a person doesn't know a cravat from a belt. That was very ignorant of me, Alice said in a humble a tone as Humpty Dumpty relented. It's a cravat, child, a beautiful one, as you say. It is a present from the White King Queen. There, now. Is it really? Alice said, quite pleased to find she had chosen a good subject after all. They gave it to me. Humpty continued thoughtfully as he crossed one knee over the other and clasped his hands around it. They gave it to me for an unbirthday present. I beg your pardon, Alice said with puzzled air. I'm not offended, said Humpty Dumpty. I mean, what is an unbirthday present? Present given when it isn't your birthday, of course. Alice considered a little. I like birthday presents best, she said at last. You don't know what you're talking about, cried Humpty Dumpty. How many days are there in a year? 365, Alice said. And how many birthdays do you have? One. If you take one from 365, what remains? 364, of course. Humpty Dumpty looked doubtful. I'd rather see that done on paper, he said. Alice came up smiling. She took out a uh, memorandum book and worked out the sum for him. 365 minus 1 equals 364. Humpty Dumpty took the book and looked at it carefully. That seems to be done right, he began. You're holding it upside down, Alice interrupted. To be sure I was, Humpty Dumpty said gaily as um, she turned around for him. Thought it looked a little queer. I was saying that seems to be done right, though I haven't the time to look it over thoroughly just now. And that shows there could be 364 days when you might get an unbirthday present. Certainly, Alice said. And there's only one for birthday presents, you know. That's glory for you. I don't know what you mean by glory, Alice said. Humpty Dumpty smiled contemptuously. Of course you don't, till I tell you. I mean, there's a nice knockdown argument for you. But glory doesn't mean a nice knockdown argument, Alice said. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I mean it to mean, neither more nor less. The question is, Alice said, whether can you make words mean so many different things? The question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be master at, that's all. How many pages is this fucking chapter? Um, uh, it's, eh, it's a few more. Just a few. Just a few more. Sorry, I'm getting I'm getting real sleepy. I need a nap or something. Brr. Alice was much too puzzled to say anything, so after a minute, Humpty Dumpty began again. There's a temper, they've some of them, particularly verbs. They're the proudest. Adjectives you can do Did I skip a chapter? No, oh, no, okay. Adjectives you can do anything with, but not verbs, however. I can manage a whole of them. Impenetrability, that's what I said. Would you tell me, please? said Alice. What that means? Now you talk like a reasonable child, Humpty Dumpty said, looking very much pleased. I mean by impenetrability that we have enough of that subject, and it would be just as well if you'd mention what you mean to do next. As I suppose you don't mean to stop here all the rest of your life. It's a great deal to make one word mean, Alice said uh, in a thoughtful tone. When I make a word do a lot of work like that, said Humpty, I always pay extra. Interesting. Is he having sex with his words? Oh, said Alice. She was much too puzzled to make any other remark. Oh, you should see him come round of a Saturday night, Humpty Dumpty went on, waggling his head gravely from side to side. For to get their wages, you know. Alice didn't venture to ask what he paid them with, so, uh, you see, he can't... So, you see, I can't tell you. Ah, okay, all right. He's just being clever again. Too drunk to realize it. You seem very clever at explaining words, sir, said Alice. Would you kindly tell me the meaning of the poem called Jabberwocky? Let's hear it, said Humpty Dumpty. I explained all the poems that were ever invented, and a good many that haven't been invented yet. 
This sounded very hopeful, so Alice repeated the first verse. Oh, god damn it. Twas brillig and slithy toes did, did gyre and jimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the boar groves, and the mom wrath outgrabe. Anyway. That's enough to begin with, Humpty Dumpty interrupted. There are plenty of hard words there. Brillig means four o'clock in the afternoon. The time when you begin broiling things for dinner. That's, that'll do very well, said Alice. And slithy? Well, slithy means lithe and slimy. Lithe is the same as active. You see, it's like a portmanteau. There are two meanings packed up into one word. I see now, Alice said thoughtfully. And what are toves? Well, toves are something like badges. Something like lizards. They're something like corkscrews. Must be a very curious-looking creature. That they are, said Humpty Dumpty. They also make their nests under sundials, and they also live on cheese. And what about gyre and to jimble? To gyre is to go round and round like a gyroscope. To jimble is to make holes with it uh, like a jimblet. And the wabe is the grassy plot round the sundial, I suppose. I said, surprised at her own ingenuity. Of course it is. It's called wabe, you know, because it goes a long way before and a long way behind it. A long way beyond on each side, I said. Exactly. Well, then, Mimsy is flimsy and miserable, is another portmanteau for you. And a boar grove is a thing shabby, is a thing shabby looking bird with its feathers sticking uh, out all round. Something like a live mop. And then, Mom Raths, uh, said Alice. Afraid I've given you a great deal of trouble. Well, a wrath is a sort of green pig, but Mom, I'm not certain about. I think it's short for from home, meaning that they've lost their way, you know. And what does outgrabe mean? Well, outgrabe, outgrabing, is something between bellowing and whistling, with a kind of sneeze in the middle. However, you'll uh, hear it done maybe down in the wood yonder. When you've once heard it, uh, you'll be quite content. Who's been repeating all that hard stuff to you? Writing a book, said Alice. But I had some poetry repeated to me much easier than that by Tweedledee, I think it was. As to poetry, you know, said Humpty Dumpty, stretching out one of his great hands, I can repeat poetry as well as other folk if it come to that. Oh, we need to come to that, Alice, Alice said hastily, hoping to keep him from the beginning. The piece I'm going to repeat, he went on without noticing a remark, was written entirely for your amusement. Alice felt that in that case she really ought to listen, so she sat down and said thank you rather sadly. In winter, when fields are white, I sing the song for your delight. Only I don't sing it, he added in an explanation. I see you don't, said Alice. If you can see whether I'm singing or not, you're sharper eyes than most. Humpty Dumpty remarked severely, Alice was silent. In spring, when woods are getting green, I'll try and tell you what I mean. Thank you very much, said Alice. In the summer, when the days are long, perhaps you'll understand this song. In autumn, when the leaves are brown, take a pen and ink and write it down. The fuck drawing is that? It's like weirdly snoot-nosed badgers. Anyway. I will, if I can remember it so long, said Alice. You needn't go on making remarks like that, Humpty Dumpty said. They're not sensible, and they put me out. I sent this message to a fish. I told them this is what I wish. The little fishes of the sea, they sent an answer back to me. The little fish's answer was, we cannot do it, sir, because... I don't quite understand, said Alice. Gets easier further on, Humpty Dumpty replied. Oh my god, this fucking poetry shit. I sent them... I sent to them again to say it will be better to obey. The fishes answered with a grin, why, what a temper you are in. I told them once, I told them twice, they would not listen to advice. Took a kettle large and new, fit for the deed it had to do. My heart went hot, my heart went thump, I filled the kettle at the pump. Then someone came to me and said, the little fishes are in bed. I said to him, I said it plain, then you must wake them again. Said it very loud and clear, I went and shouted in his ear. Humpty Dumpty raised his voice almost to a scream as he repeated this verse. And I thought with a shudder, I wouldn't have been the messenger of anything. But he was very stiff and proud and said, you needn't shout so loud. And he was very stiff, proud and stiff. And he said, I'll go and wake them. If I took a corkscrew from the shelf and I went to wake them up myself. When I found the door was locked, I pushed and pulled and knocked. 
when I found the door was shut, I turned the handle, but... There was a long pause. Is that all? Uh, said timidly. That's all, said Humpty Dumpty. Goodbye. This was rather sudden. I was like, but after such a very strong hint that she ought to be going, she felt it would hardly be civil to stay. So she got up and held out her hand. Goodbye until we meet again, she said as cheerfully as she could. I shouldn't know you again if we did meet, Humpty Dumpty replied in a disconcerted, discontented tone, giving her one of his fingers to shake. So exactly like other people. The face is where one goes by, generally, Alice remarked in a thoughtful tone. That's just what I complain of, said Humpty Dumpty. Face is the same as everybody else's. The two eyes, so... Marking the places in the air with a slump. The nose in the middle, the mouth underneath. It's always the same. Now, if you had two eyes on the same side of your nose, for instance, or the mouth on top, that would be some help. It wouldn't look very nice, Alice objected. But Humpty Dumpty would only shut his eyes and said, Wait till you've tried. Alice waited a minute to see if he would speak again, but as he never opened his eyes or took any further notice of her, she said goodbye once more. And getting no answer to this, she walked quietly away. Uh, so, but she couldn't help saying to herself as she went, Well, the unsatisfactory, she repeated this aloud, as it was a great comfort to, uh, to have, such a long word to say. Of all the unsatisfactory people I ever met, she never finished the sentence, for at the moment a heavy crash shook the forest from end to end. A heavy crash, I say. A heavy crash! I wonder what it is. Mm. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Going Up cast. I hope you enjoyed me talking about shit on Disney Plus twice, and then getting drunk on um tequila. And then some of the chapters. Of a through the looking glass and what else found there. It was a pretty good episode. Once again, sorry that it was late today. Um, at the time of recording this, it's 11:30, and it was supposed to go up an hour and a half ago. So, woohoo! I'm super on top of it. Thank you very much for listening, and I will see you all next week for another episode of the Going Upcast. Have a good one, everyone. <laughs>